Welcome to this special summer episode of Composer Quest. I'm your composer host in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran, and this podcast is my way of sharing composing and songwriting advice from all sorts of creative people. You can hear all this season one and season two episodes for free at composerquest.com. One announcement before we get into this episode. If you've been keeping up with the podcast, you know that I put out composing quests every two months or so. For our current composing quest, we've paired up composers and filmmakers to make short films with scores that will be played live by the Composer Quest Orchestra. If you're in Minnesota and want to come to the screening, it's on Thursday, August 14th at 7 p.m. at the Landmark Center in St. Paul, and that'll be in their beautiful auditorium in the basement. There's a suggested donation of $5, which will go straight to the talented musicians who've offered to play these pieces. So far, we have about 20 films being made, and I'm really excited to see how they turn out. Now, today's episode features a talk I got to be a fly on the wall for. It was part of the 2014 Minnesota Music Summit, put on by our friends at the Minnesota Music Coalition. Film composer Adam Conrad shared some great insights about how music works in film. He also talks about why he transitioned from using MIDI mock-ups to writing everything by hand for real musicians. I should mention that some of Adam's talk relies on visuals, so you'll just have to use your imagination for those parts. Now, here's Adam Conrad. My name's Adam Conrad. Uh, this is my email, conradscores at gmail. It's a pun. It's funny. You can laugh. <laughs> Um, you can email me with any questions you have or if you want me to send you my notes or any scores or anything like that that I present, feel free to email me and ask me questions. I've been talking to Charlie here up in the front about a couple of different things. Um, I run a lot of different little like not-for-profit events and things like that, so if anyone wants to come, join those things. I'm going to start off, though, not talking because I'm not great at it. And This is a film I did and showed to get into McNally Smith here uh, five, six years ago. It's only about two minutes, so we'll start off with some film score. It was only about a minute. Cool. A little bit of music for you. Um, like Ellen said, uh, I do film composition um, and then film music for a lot of different things. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about the process of film composition and what it means to be a film composer or a composer in general. And that includes um, how, where, what, uh, why when and where are sort of the same thing, and you'll see why. And uh, talk to you about how to become a film composer or how to appreciate film music. So why is there 
film scoring in general, and what does it do? There are two different types. Uh, there's technically three, but there's diegetic and non-diegetic music. Okay, diegetic music is something that will come from the screen, that comes from a source on the film. Right? Someone turns on a radio and a song starts playing, and then it plays throughout the scene because it's coming from that place. That's diegetic. We can see it. It's uh, it, we, we know where the source is. The other one is non-diegetic music, and non-diegetic music is the gamut. Is pretty much everything that we know as film score. It's underscore, right? Everything that happens underneath. But then there's really kind of a third one that my teacher uh, calls scores, which is score and source put together, right? Uh, and that's sort of when uh, an underscore will turn into diegetic music, right? We hear sort of an intro or something, we're not paying attention, and all of a sudden someone's singing. Or someone turns on the radio and there's a jazz tune playing that slowly turns into underscore and we forget about it. Okay, um, the next question I have written down is why? Why do we have film music? What are the things that it does for us, right? Uh, I wrote down it adds tension. It could add uh, tension to a scene that maybe isn't necessarily tense if two people are just talking and all of a sudden Right? It creates a little bit of tension, like why is there music all of a sudden? What, what, what is about to happen? We know subconsciously that something is going to happen. Uh, adds curiosity. Maybe if there's a, a conversation going, uh, I just watched a, a show called Avatar, it's from Nickelodeon, it's like a cartoon. It's really silly and really cool. And there's like sort of a, a heated debate going on, but the music underneath was pizzicato strings, boom, 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 boom. Right? So all of a sudden their aggressive argument just becomes really curious and, and interesting. Like, oh, they're just playing around. I know they're friends, right? Adding curiosity, adding drama, that one's really easy. Uh, or adding comedy. Once again, pretty, pretty easy and slapstick type of things. Another reason why we add music is to hint at, uh, at an emotion or foreshadowing, right? Um, maybe a good example of this is... Um, you're watching a scene where it's totally silent and the character looks at something, looks at a, at a marker on a table, and the camera focuses in, you hear... Right? What does that marker mean? That means something, or else they wouldn't have done anything to it. And then later on, this marker becomes the key to the city, or whatever it is. <laughs> so, I think foreshadowing is a really, really cool way, and it can be really, really simple, too. You know, something like that. I've used that in, like, Five different films, just octave jump. Don't tell the directors that, that I use it. Uh, another one is to create interest or focus. So uh, if someone's having a conversation and there's no music underneath, we, we might not think very much of it, right? It might just be a conversation we're listening. But if halfway through the conversation, once again, we hear that, Right? Oh, something's going on. There's something that's adding to that scene right now. We're, we're supposed to be focusing in on what they're saying. If, if we're sort of nonchalantly paying attention and then music enters, we're going to be paying attention a lot more. Right? That is subconsciously, oh, something added to the effect. Um, and then the last thing I have for why, which, once again, this could be a very, very short list, uh, and we could probably expand on all these. Another one is... 
but to show which character is in focus or power. And I want you to remember this one because I'm going to show something a little bit later that, of something I've, I, I did. But uh, a lot of times, if there's conversation or dialogue happening in a film between, say, a, a good guy and a bad guy, there's tension. We know that, right? We know that there's tension because it's the good guy and the bad guy and they're talking and so we're tense. But who has power over the scene? Who's winning in that scene? Who are we supposed to be rooting for or rooting against? Right? Obviously the good guy we root for and the bad guy against, but you have to like the bad guy a little bit or whatever the case may be, right? A, a, a love interest. If one person is uh, maybe a little bit more intoxicating than the other one and the director wants you to follow that, how do you do something like that? How would you, uh, you know, if I'm having a conversation here and every time you talk, you know, we hear this. And then I respond, well, I, 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 don't, I don't really know what's going on. Well, you're in my territory, right? He's in power and I'm scared, right? Like real gentle and scared. So now we're creating sort of... Um, a dialogue back and forth with the music, which, once again, is uh, trying to focus on who's in power. Who do we want to showcase? Maybe we don't showcase Charlie at all, and we just showcase the person who's scared. That makes us more scared, right? Or feel for that character more. But if we just focus on him, maybe that makes us relate to him or what he's doing a little bit stronger. Does that make sense? Is that pretty clear? Uh, any questions about why we do film music? Um. This is kind of uh, like a not using film music, but what do you think about instances like a movie like No Country for Old Men, mm -hmm. where there's like no music, no music the whole time, like being able to kind of create that focus. I think there's maybe like three points. There's like a bong's right. drum, and then there's that one scene where he wakes up drunk to that mariachi band. Right. Dying dead. Like what about like creating focus with nothing happening? This is, like, it's such a good point. I, and this is something that I believe so strongly about film music. And not, not just film music, about life. Because I relate, obviously, everything that I do in life to my film music and to music in general. That's how I learn things, is through the lens of music, right? Does anyone have this? Can I raise this? Too bad. Okay. There's nothing, for argument's sake, on here, right? How important is that line? Pretty important. There's nothing else going on here, right? That is as important as could be. But what if I did this? Right? How important is that line? I don't know. I mean, pretty important because it's part of the composition, which is a work of art. You might want to take a picture of that. <laughs> but. It's, it's just a part to the whole, um, and maybe the composition is all that we see on first glance. You might have to look at this piece for hours, which I recommend you do, <laughs> and study it for a long time to realize why I put this thing here, right? And that's exactly the same thing. That composer, uh, Carter Burwell, got paid a million dollars for that score. Yeah, he got paid a lot of money, because he wrote a score and then at the end went, no. It doesn't need it. It's not what's important. What's important is that it serves the film, right? So something like that can be just as powerful. Look at Miles Davis made a career off of that. You know, Miles Davis did this for a living. He said, 
I'm only going to play this note and this note. What I want you to pay attention to is this space right here, right? That's super cool. So Carter Burwell sort of does the same thing in that score, and I think it's beautiful. I mean, it's, it, it can be considered a cop-out, but he's not a cop-out. He's written some of the best scores ever. Um, I have a black one that probably shows better. So, um, yeah, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll get to that, but I think that that's a great point. I think that film music is, it, it's, it has to be so intentional. And I'll also get more to the point of, um, of, of, of the idea of being intentional. This isn't music for the sake of music, right? This is music for film. We are making music f to serve the purpose of film, which is a stronger medium than just music. It involves all kinds of people. Uh, okay, so that was why. What? Um, hard cues and soft cues, a real technical thing, but there's things called hard cues where if something happens, the music hits it. Go, 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 right, right, on an action. Or there's a soft cue, like in a love scene, that sort of plays behind it. And generally when they go to kiss, it may happen right on the kiss, it may be a little after, maybe a little before, it's a soft cue. A lot of that stuff is conducted what's called on stick, with a baton. John Williams does this, right? He just watches the film, and he knows where the, the tempo is, and he can uh, give it rubato. Right? Or we do it hard cue, where there's a click in everyone's headphone. And everyone's going, right? It's all really quick stuff. Hard cue, soft cue, just technical term. Um, part of what is, uh, what are the different classifications of background music, or film music, I should say? Uh, one is background, scene music, right? If a scene is happening, like that curiosity in a conversation, there's just curious music happening. It's not hitting any point specifically. Boom, 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 boom. It's just creating a background sense so you go, oh, it's curious. Like, we're being curious about this scene right now. Um, action music is like that. Love music is like that, right? It's very general. It's like the, the broadest sense of it. Uh, another one is uh, leitmotif or leitmotif, which is character-driven mot motives or motifs. Every time we see the bad character we hear, or just a, right, a little cymbal swell. Or maybe it's as simple as just a bass drum hit. Boom, boom. Right when we see the character, right? We're playing with the good guy, and then all of a sudden you see the, the bad character. Boom, boom. Just one little thing. But every single time we see that bad character, boom, boom. So then when maybe the bad character is around, and we don't see him, boom, boom. We hear it, and we go, oh, you know what? I bet the bad character is around. And everyone thinks they're a genius because they, they came up with that. It's a manipulation of the psyche. Uh, okay, another one is conversation. I, well, these are my titles, so don't you know, take too much stock in my verbiage. But conversation is sort of a mix between uh, the leitmotif and uh, background. And it's what I was talking about earlier with, uh, you know, if we're having a conversation, every time you talk, I play some sort of movement or some sort of feeling. And every time I talk... There's another type of feeling. And then over the entire thing, maybe we just have a nice high patch. Right, just to give us some sort of background. And then he talks. And then I talk. Right, whatever it is. That's sort of conversation music. Another one is sound effects. This happens in cartoons a lot. Boing, right, or 
or just some sort of really quick things or Looney Tunes is Carl Stalling is brilliant at this. He said it's not, it's a, a, a boulder falling on Wiley e. Coyote's head is not funny unless it's accompanied with a piano gliss. Right? That's only funny with and then he gets hit in the head and then it's funny, right? It's not funny otherwise. Um, so c cartoon sound effects, which is brilliant. If you ever want to study incredible orchestral music, watch the Looney Tunes and just close your eyes. It's perfect, perfect, perfect music. Uh, another one is transition music. This can be from one scene. It happens a lot in television. Obviously, like Seinfeld, right? Into the next scenes, those are really, really fun. Or it's, uh, you know, we're coming out of that curious conversation, and then there's drama, and we switch to another scene, right? It's Now we're more grave and more serious, right? So that's transition music, which is, I think, the trickiest part about film scoring. Anyone can write a cool lick. It's really easy. It's really, really, it's a lot simpler than you think it is. But to make transition from one mood to another seamlessly and quickly is really difficult. Um, reactionary music. Uh, this is sort of like a sound effect, but can be used as a transition, right? Uh, sometimes there's background music going on that you know, provides a, a very beautiful uh, love scene. Right? And then a guy watches his, his ex-girlfriend go off with an, another guy, and, and nothing changes, right? Nothing changes. But then the camera shoots back to him, and he watches it. And then he reacts to it. And then we switch the music, right? Right? Now we're in a different mood. But that's like a reactionary music. A lot of people will make cuts, hard cuts or soft cuts, on the action itself. But it can be really powerful to make a cut on the reaction of the character, right? To be character driven towards that. Um, and the last one is a montage. Everyone knows what a montage is, right? It's a lot of things happening really quickly and then there's a montage over the whole thing. Cool. Uh, that is the what portion. Does anyone have any questions about what? What kind of, yeah? Um, for your transitional music, like mm -hmm. when you were playing up there, you know, like your sad theme, mm -hmm. is that something that you um, accomplish? I'm mean, sure you have different ways of doing it, but is that through like relative keys? Like you're playing yeah. in G major and all of a sudden it's sad, so you're in minor. Yeah, that's exactly what I did there. And, and the, you know, yeah, once again, that's a really technical thing, but there's a lot of tools to use those things. And I'll talk about some of the film scoring techniques um, that, we'll that you'll use to create um, uh, different, mu different ideas like that. Um, but yeah, it, it can be very, very technical, or it can be omitting a lot of things. I've been getting really into the idea pretty recently of, if I just play this note, it doesn't mean anything yet, right? But then when I play this note, now it means something. Totally different, right? But then what happens if I do this? Right, it might be a little more playful. Right, 
So omitting things can be really cool. Just one note at a time. A lot of film music will do that. Land, and you land on a note and then hold it for a while and then you add a different note that changes the whole scope of what you thought you were doing, right? It's sort of a technical thing, but it can be really, really powerful. Okay, how? I don't even know how I came up with these things. Okay, how? Uh, film scoring musical techniques. That's what we're talking about. What's the difference between film music and classical music or film music and jazz or pop? What makes those things different? Um, in my opinion, broad strokes. If you watch a two-hour film, there's probably an hour and 20 minutes of music happening. And there's probably three and a half hours of music written for it. That's a lot of music. I can't tell you how much music that is. They say that it takes the average composer eight hours to write two minutes of film. Two minutes of music takes eight hours. That's pretty generous considering like a lot of songwriters the Beatles are considered the best, and they wrote a song a day. It's about two and a half, three minutes of music every eight hours, right? Think about what that means, that's a lot. So composers for film think in big, big, broad strokes. Uh, one of the first things is, if you have a two hour film, that's two hours of continuity. You want all of your music to make sense, right? It's, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't sound like, uh, I'm gonna use a bad example, but the social network, nothing repeats. It is always new in the social network. It's an Oscar-winning film score. I'm not, I'm not trying to judge it, but um, when you, when, if Trent Reznor was writing 12 film scores a year, he wouldn't be able to do that. It would be too difficult. There's not, you have to reuse material, think in broad strokes, um, which means repetition, right? We can get away with a lot of things because our visual senses are getting taken up by one thing. So if there's an action scene, it just... watching me play this. But if there was fight going on, you wouldn't be that bored. You'd be like, oh my god, this is the most amazing scene ever. So repetition is good with slight variations, right? A lot of composers will do really, really, really minor things like uh, just drop a beat, you know? Right? Just dropping one beat. Really, really slight variation, but it keeps interest going. Another thing is it changes to get those broad strokes. I'm talking about all different things to get those broad strokes, uh, ways of thinking of it. It changes aggressively. Film music is often very, very aggressive. Really good film composers like John Williams or Randy Newman or Danny Elfman can do these things really slightly, but it often, um, you know, a, a pop thing, they might do a, a, a four bar, you know, a four bar thing. repeat it and they can do that for a while and then when they transition right now they've transitioned it's really subtle film music doesn't do that film music changes abruptly you can go from this right it's like very, very, but, but it's because it's, it's helping uh, something on screen. 
so that's okay. Um, modulations. Uh, this is a very technical term, but it's but it's a it's a great way. I think a lot of us are musicians, possibly. Cool. A, a lot of this is um, this is very very film scorey. So take like that four bar thing that we would do in pop, let's say. So we have this. Right? Pop would probably play that a couple times, maybe a lot of times, maybe for the whole song. But film music is going to modulate up or modulate down or whatever. A film music thing is modulating up a minor third. This is a really specific film thing. It doesn't happen in pop music. It happens in film music. Modulate up a minor third. You can continue doing that over and over and over and over and over. Right? If I play this. Right? Minor third. Right? Up a minor third. Get me? So that like just increases. For some reason, I don't, I don't know why, but a minor third modulation up is very, very filmy. Um, once again, broad strokes. We have a four bar idea and we modulate it every four bars. Change aggressively, think broad strokes. You can get a lot of, uh, of uh, mileage off of that one idea that's pretty small. Um, large orchestral changes. Play the exact same thing with a different orchestral group. This obviously in, entails knowing how to write for woodwinds, brass strings, but if the strings do something pretty, right? Then the woodwinds just right back, right? And then maybe the brass does it and harmonizes it, right? Broad strokes. Changing orchestration is huge. I listen to four-minute cues that are literally eight bars of the same music the entire time with orchestration changes every time. Maybe a slight transition difference. Really, really simple. Um, once again, less can be more, I wrote down, which is sort of the idea that I was talking about earlier. Holding a note for two minutes, that happens in film all the time, just one note. For two minutes. Oh my gosh, you got paid for that? So cool. <laughs> um, or the absence of music, that's a great one, obviously. Getting rid of music is so cool. There, there, there's, there's times where there's action scenes and you don't even notice there's not music. You know, there's music and then an action scene starts and music disappears. Happens in uh, um, um, Transformers. He does that all the time. There's so many sound effects happening that he just doesn't play music. Why? The sound effects are doing such a good job. You don't want to, you know, you, you, the, the truth is that we hear, if we watch a film, that film is 80% what we're looking at, right? Is not, no one's paying attention to music. At tops, we have 20% going into the auditory. Out of that 20%, probably 90% of that is going towards dialogue, right? And then out of that 10% that's left, or whatever the math is, probably more than half of that is going to sound effects. The music is such a small part of it. It's the smallest part, but it is the biggest emotional response. It's all subconscious. So it's important, but you gotta realize your place. Absence of music can be huge. Um, once again, broad strokes, everyone playing the melody. That was something that Christopher Young taught me. He's like, you really wanna get your melody heard? 
put everyone on it. And we're like, oh, good, good idea. He's like, you're not listening to me. Everyone, like, timpanies on it. Don't play anything but the melody. That's a wild concept. 110 players all playing the melody, even the timpani just accenting the notes they can get to. It's huge, and it makes a really big difference, and it is a really cool sound. Sound of everyone playing unison. Stevie Wonder does it. Film composers do it. It's a good idea. Um, broad strokes. Slowing or speeding up tempo. Right? Right? It's one idea, but you can slow down the tempo and get 40 seconds of mileage out of it. Or speeding up the tempo in horror films happens all the time. Same little ostinato pattern, you know? You know, just da 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 Orchestral colors are just as important as melody. I am a composer that believes that color is the most important thing. That's why I like those things like light mo les motifs, those things, because those are subconscious, they just grab you, right? Um, so if anyone is considering doing film composition, think color. Be really specific about the colors you're thinking. It means layering, really, really wise about choosing instruments, right? Those things are more important than sitting and sweating over a melody choice, you know? Oh, God, I want it to be cool. I want it to go to this F sharp right here. No one cares. No one cares. Is it serving the film? Think colors, broad strokes, big broad strokes. You got a lot of music to write. Get it, get it done. Get it done on time or early. Um, okay, one more thing uh, about this. It's the when slash where. When do you come in, right? When, do you, when does a cue enter? A lot of times it happens at the end of an action or the start of an action. Uh, a lot of times it happens at someone's reaction. We talked about a reaction. Or the end of a line. Someone says something, you know? It's like, you mean the buffalo? <laughs> right? And then it's exciting. Um, I think those things are really cool. Uh, and then exactly when, do, when does it come in? Sometimes it comes in uh, right on the word. The buffalo, right? Or sometimes it comes in just a hair late because you want to give everyone time to react to it. The buffalo, that has a different effect. Even though it's a half second later, it has a wildly different effect. Do not underestimate the power of when a cue starts. It is so important if you want it to be heard or if you don't want it to be heard. So important. Or early. That happens all the time, especially in sound effects and in TV. You know, the end of a scene happens, it's like, really? That's crazy. Right? And then it, it changes scenes. So when do you come in? These are super important. Um, okay, I'm going to show another one of my films because <laughs> I get to. Uh, and uh, and it, this, this one is about uh, three minutes or so long. And it, see if you can point out um, the different things that we've been talking about. When music enters, right? The mood changes, and where, who is the music affecting? Who is the music backing? This, this has three or four pretty dramatic changes in it, okay? So, I should have just had that up. Um, this is called Buggin'. There's a little bit of fake gore at the end. There's blood. 
So if anyone, I know, just. Yeah. Change. Different scene. I notice the conversation that happens here between the music. The tracking chain. I am so sorry, sir. I'm, I'll clean it up right away. Oh, don't worry about it. I'll mop the whole floor a little later. Right? I saw that the, the front door was open and I thought maybe someone was hurt. Did you? Look. quick because I'm running out of time. Really happy, right? Really pretty. Yeah. Neighborly. Little cheesy maybe. It's good. Ba -da -da. That's a weird note on a door opening, right? Patience. Back to happy. The strings are letting us know what's going on. Right? The strings are in control there. Now all of a sudden we're in a totally different place. How long do, how much mileage do I get out of this one whole note? It's about a minute. I'm not really doing anything. But it gets tense, right? And then this conversation that happens, right? When the boy talks, 
Really breathy flute with some bells, sort of nervous. And then he moves. Right? We're scared of him. We know that. He's intimidating and not afraid of anything. Cool. Okay. Um, I'm just going to finish real quick here. Uh, Those are all the things I have about the techniques. Could you grab those two lower lights for me? Those are all the things I have about like the techniques of film scoring and music and sort of the process. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, what it takes to become a film composer, but um, I think I can sort of sum it up in a couple of words. Um, Make sure that you know what film composition takes. It takes being alone a lot if you're considering being a film composer. It's not fun. I don't like being alone. It's hard for me. I have, I have a real problem with it. So I've ri- I write, try and write music for real players because I like seeing the players. I like that aspect of it. So I don't write a whole lot of music. You know, I try and be really careful and really specific about when I write music. I don't want to sit at home for 12 hours a day in front of a computer or in front of my pad. It doesn't interest me. Know what film composition takes, right? And know how to think of it. Um, and if you want to become a film composer, start scoring. Just start doing it. By an interface, by something that you can hear it, or just start writing it on piano or whatever. And then just find a bunch of movies on YouTube that don't have dialogue that you can just erase the music and then record over it. Or just play over it. Whatever. But just start. Just start playing music, thinking about these ideas, buy books, study music, listen to music that you like, figure out what it's doing, that type of thing, right? Um, more importantly, does anyone have any questions on all that stuff or becoming a film composer? This is kind of like, I guess, more of a business standpoint. Sure. Um, it's all pretty much done in post-production, right? Mm-hmm. So, is, uh, I don't know, I've dealt with someone who, like, they're like, oh, you can just, like, make some stuff, like, pre-production and, like, get some songs, like, write some songs for it. Like, right. How do you, like, convey, you just deal with it? It's, it's hard. I mean, music happens last. And there's a reason, because you're adding to what's already happening, right? We're not just creating nothing from, but if it's a musical or something, we're going to try and create something beforehand. A lot of times, script helps. I come up with a lot of motivic ideas and play music for the director, like, oh, this is sort of the feeling I'm going for. And then they get all these big ideas, like, well, that's not exactly what I'm going for. I, I was thinking it would sort of go all weird and minory. It's like, directors don't really speak music. So a lot of times, I'll just like, write some bullshit. You know, and, and see what happens. And then a lot of times they're like, oh, that's really great. You know, I love that. And then by the time the film actually gets made and I'm doing it in post, I don't, I don't keep any of those ideas. I just wanted to know. Yeah? So are the sound effects already in place by the time you're doing the music? Sound effects usually happens at the same time. So do you collaborate with the Foley people to do that? No, Foley usually gets done at the same time. And uh, sometimes, depending on like the film, I'll, I'll have like very specific things or... Um, I've gotten really involved in talking to the Foley people and saying, like, do you want to just take this part? Because I think it might be cool without music. You so know, and having the cause those... of the tape can, the steps in the tape, exactly. did they say we're going to do this, or you just said, oh, let's put the sound in the um, I, I obviously okay. knew there was going to be a sound effect there, but there wasn't. And I, th- I, I came up, I, I told that to the director. I said, what if we just leave that? You know, what? And then the reaction is in silence. I don't. And then there's, oh, gross, that doesn't need music. You and know? then it must be some sort of a technical thing, like a time clip thing when you're actually writing mm-hmm. so that your tempos and speeds and breaks yeah. are matched. Exactly. And, and that's just keeping it in a sequencer, Logic, Ableton, Pro Tools, any one of those things, and then making sure that, you know, the first thing I do when I watch a scene, mm-hmm. 
yeah, just find the tempo. Oh, this feels good for this scene. And then just sort of estimate, find it, and sort of whittle down until I have tempo that lines up with the markings. I do all that stuff, it takes me a long, long time. And then once everything's marked up, then I fall asleep and I don't worry about it. And then the next day I write. So that it's all creative on one day and all technical on another day. I don't confuse the two. Yeah. Are there any networking events that you can suggest where you can meet filmmakers to Yeah, I mean I would go um, I would go straight to MCAD or uh, you know, or MCTC. Like those guys are there's great filmmakers coming out of there and I think it's a really cool opportunity to go that's how I met a lot of these guys. This guy is an MCAD guy who did that film called Buggin, or that teaser. It didn't get made into a film, um, unfortunately. Say again. Yeah, it was a cool one. I wish it would have gotten made. Um, yeah, I would just go to the colleges. I, I'm, I'm a people person, you know, so like any opportunity when Alan asked me to do this, it's like any opportunity to meet people who are interested in that, whether they're filmmakers, film music makers, whatever it is, like, I just jump on everything. I, I met a guy recently who played bass in an orchestra for me, and I found out he was 19. I'd, I, I, I was like, you're 19, like all the guys we're playing with. I was like, what, how'd you even, you know, how did you find out about this and all that? He said, I go to every Craigslist post for music and never say no, never. I just don't say no. Say yes to everything, paid or not paid. It's like, so brilliant. <laughs> Such a great idea. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, how much do you have to like kind of like pride in the music and stuff when you're dealing with other people who want to put your music in the stuff? Like how much do you have to just be like, okay. It's a great idea. That's like, a, it's, it's cool, you know. It's a great question. Yeah. Stephen King said, don't be afraid to kill your children. <laughs> and it's, yeah, he right, he would. But it's a, it's a great point. I've had hundreds of ideas that I just... Whatever. You know, if you don't put stock in, if you don't put a, a lot of stock into how important your idea is, you'll get more. Especially for film composing? Yeah. I mean, directors love, I'm not going to say it phrase, they love seeing themselves naked. You know, they love to be able to, like, well, I have an idea. <laughs> now, I'm thinking this minory thing will go into more of a, you know, <clears throat> type of feeling, you know what I'm saying. It's like, dude, I have no idea what you're saying. But you're like, yeah, totally. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's like the oomph, yeah. God, you're good at this, you know? That type of thing, just patting him on the back the whole time. It's a lot of that. I mean, it's a lot of the business, you know? The, the way I've gotten around that, um, I had a revelation while I was here at school that I was writing for MIDI and I was just telling Charlie this. I wrote this 26-minute film, no dialogue, all music. And I wrote it all on... Uh, while I was going to school, and, and I wrote it all on a computer. And he would come over and look at every two or three minute scene, and I'd push play, and I'd go, okay. And we'd push play, and then we'd just sit there and watch the film together. And he would like, wait, hold on, uh, what if this, and he's like, didn't even let it play through. You know, because he wants creative control. And when I push play on, this, uh, on the computer, there's all this space for him to make these decisions. You know, there's no imagination. All he th tries to do is be critical. Right? Because he doesn't have an imagination for this. He doesn't need to. It's playing for him. We were like two minutes away from being done with this film, and I said, listen, man, I can't do this. I, I'm done. Like, I'll give you back your money. Two minutes left for the film. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore because it's not worth it. 
if you let me take this money, spend it towards players, write the whole thing by hand, and then conduct it on stick in a recording room, I'll do it. But I want to start over. We'll pick four instruments, and I'll do the whole film. And he, he was like, uh, okay, that's a big chance on my part. I had to do it in like two weeks. It was a lot of work. But what happened that I found is that when I wrote by hand, right, my ideas were bigger because I wasn't micromanaging my own ideas. I had to think in terms of eight, 16 bars at a time, really large ideas. And then when I told him what was going on, showed him the score, and half-assed played it on the piano and had him imagine the instruments, his imagination is going crazy and he's trying to focus on what, what I'm doing and what, and what happens, he trusts me. He trusted me because he saw my music, he saw me playing, and I explained my instincts to him. He trusted me to do the whole thing. He goes, man, I can't wait to hear it. We did the whole thing. When we recorded it, he's in the studio. I'm taking charge of the players. He's in the studio going, oh my gosh. It's so much better than I thought it was going to sound. He didn't have one critique. Not one for 26 minutes. Not one. Right? I took that option away from him. That's, I, so that's why I started doing that instead of uh, MIDI. Because MIDI is... Something very specific. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to say that. Solus. Yeah, solace is, is great. And well, it's just micromanaging. You know, for me, it's really difficult. Um, any other questions? Yeah. You were talking about uh, <coughs> finding things on YouTube that are raising these dialogue and whatnot, just putting things with it. This is, this is presumably just real practice. Right. Yeah, uh, I have found films um, that I fell in love with on YouTube or Vimeo that I email the director and say like, this is so good, can I use this for my reel? And I'll give you credit, but I just want to use it for my reel because I want this visual to add to my music. And they, they're usually pretty cool about it. You know, I wouldn't take something like Pixar. This, but, this, but stuff like this, these Giacchino shorts, these are great for practice because there's no dialogue. And they happen right before all the Pixar films. There's like 30 of them, you know? They're really great for it, and they're really cartoony. Lots of changes, broad strokes, right? Um, but yeah, it, it, you can build a reel based on other people's stuff if you don't have anything. So it, it, just make sure you get get privileges, you know, get rights. Any other questions? Then I'll leave you with well, yeah, Ellen. Thing, uh, which is that there's a question about networking with. Uh, uh, filmmakers and connecting filmmakers and musicians, and that's something that we're actually talking about doing more with um, as in our conversations with the Minneapolis St. Paul International Film Festival and with the film community. Right, guys, we've been talking more about doing some networking events with that. So, again, make sure to sign our email list and make sure what you know about. Cool. And we can get some of those kind of social hours and networking events. It's a great idea. Um, I'm going to leave you with um, a philosophy to love all music, just love it because it's special. And even if it's not what you like, you can still love it. And that means including your own music. Love your own music. Don't judge it. Just do it. If, you know, if you're judging your, your stuff all the time, you'll have a lot of heartache. And that's really difficult. I've struggled with that a lot. Don't judge your own music. Just write it. Just write it and move on. And then love it. Cool? Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this special summer episode of Composer Quest with Adam Conrad. For more of Adam's music, visit soundcloud.com slash adamconrad. 
Thanks again to Ellen Stanley and the Minnesota Music Coalition. Their website is mnmusiccoalition.org. If you want to connect with me, email me, charlie at composerquest.com, or find ComposerQuest on Facebook or Twitter. I'll leave you now with some more of Adam Conrad's piece you've been hearing throughout the episode called Coffee Pot Overture. <laughs>